This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. The following episode is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Welcome to another exciting episode of Material Is Your Business on Mouth Media Network. And your customers, the people that you're designing and creating for, their tastes are changing. It's changing every day. So how do you know where to go or what to do? Well, this company has the answer. We're here with Sharon Graubard, the founder and creative director at Mint Moda, and the show starts right now. I'm Sharon Graubard. I am the founder and creative director at Mint Moda, and I love materials because they're the closest thing to us, whether it's clothing or upholstery or a dish towel. Materials are us. They're intimate. This is Material Is Your Business, a podcast covering the science, technology, and business of materials and manufacturing. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Powered by Sennheiser. Your hosts for this episode are Stephanie Benedetto, CEO and co-founder of Queen of Raw, and Samantha Cortez, international consultant and founder of Samantha's Platform. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome, everyone. I'm Stephanie Benedetto, and I'm joined by my co-host, Samantha Cortez. Hola. And our guest today is Sharon Gropart of Mint Moda. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Stephanie. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. So in the first segment, we typically want to just get a high-level view of who you are and what you do. Well, I am um, what they call a fashion forecaster. Um, I analyze what's going on on the runway, on the street, in the culture, and put meaningful narratives together about fashion along with material direction, color direction, silhouette direction. A powerful, important, necessary element to not just fashion, but really any creative design industry. Where do you even begin? How, how does that analysis happen? I mean, we see what's out there and what's going on, but you're again forecasting into the future. How, how do you do that? I always say the seeds of what's coming next are here now because it is an evolution. And we do more than fashion, I should add. We do home interiors and beauty and all design-related industries. We look for the the beginnings of things, the way things are shifting. And you could kind of feel it, um, what's going to come next. It's hard to explain because it's both intuitive and analytical, but it's not an exact science. In the past, it used to be completely different. Now we have the computers, and we look into, um, uh, we can go online and see what streetwear is and what um, aspects of fashion, how to move forward. But in the past, we used to, we had to fly. We had to fly to, to Paris, to Italy, and, and, and really get a huge concept. What's the difference, do you feel, that it's now and that it used to be and do you think it's easier or hmm, easier I would say no but definitely easier to get information Samantha um I think you still have to travel you still have to feel it you still have to smell it you don't know where your inspiration's going to come from I always say I was, I was in Paris one time and I saw one woman running across the street wearing an ethnic 
folkloric shawl, and that was before that ethnic folkloric thing happened, and it was like, that's it. Would I have seen that in somebody else's street photos? I don't know, because it's your own eye. But that said, definitely, it's wonderful to have, I mean, I I could look at Instagram all night long, and I feel like I see the world on my little square of phone. (laughs) I wonder, because obviously that has changed so much with the digital space and where everyone thinks that they're trendsetters and they're creating these iconic images and they're sharing them with the world and it's going to go viral. Um, As you're digesting all this information, you still can't be everywhere and digest everything. You need to curate the information that's coming into you to assess and analyze where you're going and what recommendations you make to your clients. What does that process look like and where are the funnels of information that's coming in and the output going out? Oh, my gosh. Goodness, that's such a good question. Um, I mean, one thing that's – and I think I'm answering both your question and Samantha's, but – Things have changed because it's not so much a trend like we used to have where everybody would be adopting the, you know, the A-line mini skirt or the motorcycle jacket, although although those things are still important. It's more like assessing, I, I call them tribes, different kinds of tribes, the tribes of fashion, the street tribes. And I, it's like I'm looking for the thread. I'm looking for things to fit together, and I like to fit them together in an unexpected way. So it's not just the low-hanging fruit that I call it. So if it's motorcycle jackets, maybe they're out there, but what's the new context? Is it the motorcycle jacket over a ballerina skirt? Is it the tough romantic is it, uh, you know, it's some sort of strange mix that I see bubbling up that gives things newness. But what I found really interesting when I went to your website is there was a method to the madness. You had a portion where you kind of directed with arrows through different inputs to create where you're seeing and the information that's coming in and what's going out. I wonder if you know about how that came about and what that process is, because I found it so interesting and unique that, that there was some science and method to it. Oh, I love that you noticed that, because I always say I'm, you know, quote, unquote, famous for my maps. I call those the map. And I like to map the trend and kind of point arrows to, was it a movie? What was it in history? What is it in art history? Um, You know, it's maybe Prada did a collection and people think, oh, I'm you know, you're giving me directions to knock off Prada. But I always say it's not because Prada did it. I don't want you to do it because Prada did it. I want to get behind what Mutual Prada was thinking. So the map is almost a psychological map behind the trend. Or sometimes I think of it as a like evidence, like I'm a lawyer and I'm connect, collecting the evidence for the trend to kind of back it up. Does that make sense? Absolutely. <laughs> I think it makes a big difference of what um, how you do trends versus other people. And as I actually, I was actually, um, let's look back. Because 10 years ago when the internet came out and when we used to do 
the trends, we used to look at the collections and sometimes through photos that you would buy from the photographers. And now we have, um, call it fast fashion, where you see that a lot of the designers are going online and they think that they're, on, they're their own trend forecasters and they just copy and just change it around a little bit and throw it out there to the mass markets. Um, how did that affect the, um, the, the projections? How did the internet, how did that in- affect the whole industry that you work in? Well, it switched. It used to be the forecasters, even before my time, my my great ex-boss and mentor, Marjorie Dean, used to say she was the owner of the Toby Report, and she used to tell me that Mr. Gimble and Mr. Macy's and Mr. B. Altman and uh, Mr. Uh, Neiman and Mr. Marcus would sit in a room and decide what's happening next. We don't do that anymore. The consumer tells us what's happening next. So we have to read the signs, not only from the runways, and the runways are still a rich source of inspiration because these are brilliant people. They're designers. It's not evening gowns. It's T-shirts and jeans and zip-up jackets and the clothes we wear every day. We need to see what Alessandro Michele thinks. We need to see what Prada thinks. We need to see what Rap Simons thinks. But we also need to see what people are wearing. And that's what we do. We take everything into account. I always wonder when you think about kind of trend forecasting and what's trending now and where it's going, how much of it is a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, like if we, you know, if Kylie Jenner wears it, then it shall be, or if we say it, then everybody will do it and it shall be, and how much of it is, how much room is there to kind of move away from that? Because presumably you're working with a lot of different clients with different customer databases, and so the trends that are applicable to one may not be applicable to another, but do they all need to be looking in the same direction, or are we customizing? How does it work? It's that's such a good question. <laughs> I always say a trend has to be like a mirror. It's that's part of the art of it. The client has to look at that trend and feel like I'm looking at myself. I'm looking at my product. That's me. So the trend has to be open enough and inclusive enough so that it can be interpreted in a lot of different ways, but it has to be specific enough and focused enough so that the client, in my case, it's business to business, so it's manufacturers, retailers, designers, product developers, have to be able to know, okay, I'm creating this. They have to have a handle so that they understand exactly what the trend is. So... It's a, it's a fine uh, balance of giving someone something that they can respond to in a real way and not be alienated by, but not giving them something so generic that there's no trend there. I, I know some trend forecasters. You used to work at WGSN and Trend Lab, is that correct? Yes. 
And I, I know some people who have also worked in the industry. And years ago, they said they used to actually create like trend rooms for their clients where you would walk into a room and it would have certain materials and objects and images and touch and feel. And it became this whole sensory experience to kind of set and, and evoke that trend. Is that method still used today? How do you deliver the trend and the message to your client? Well, I tried to recreate that experience, or I should say we tried to create recreate that experience on the web, mm-hmm. on our web-based site. So I would say Mint Moda is almost like entering a room. It's very immersive, it's very gorgeous, and it's very intuitive. I was so inspired years ago when I uh, heard an interview with Steve Jobs, and he said, I don't want someone to have to learn how to use my um, devices. You should just pick it up and know how to use it. And that's what we did with Mint Moda. That said, I've been to some um, really inspiring spaces like Bob Mellet's um, vintage store downtown, where it is that immersive room and you feel the trend because of the, the vintage shirts hanging on the wall and the old belt buckles, and he's a vintage resource for designers, but the way he creates the trend is um, almost like a living trend book. So how do your customers get access to that information? Is it um, a one-on-one consultation? Is it a subscription service and you deliver reports? What is the process? Yeah, it's a subscription service. I never liked that word report um, because it implies that you're reporting on something. We are more analytical, we're more creative, but I I call them zones. So on our website, we have a trend zone, we have a key item zone, we have a footwear zone, a beauty zone. And in those different zones, there are um, inspirational materials and... um, and words and stories that conjure the way things are going. What does key items mean? Key items is an analysis of everything that's happening on the runway, and we do the street too, and we get it down to 10 or 20 items. One reason we created Mint Motor was to be super concise and super curated because I used to do... At StyleSite, which is before Mm -hmm. WGSN, I would do, and my my team and I would do 70, 70 reports on the collections each season. So it was very hard to keep giving fresh information. And in a way, you want to repeat information that's important. But in another way, you want the information to be fresh. But the clients were overwhelmed. So what we do is key items. It's the fitted sweater. It's the oversized sweater. It's the crafty sweater. It's the cropped boot cut. It's the slouchy menswear pant. It's the straight leg. It's the arty smock dress. It's a jersey dancing dress influenced by the 70s. I'm just giving you things off the top of my head. It's the padded coat. It's the you're giving us a lot of pieces of clothing, but you do a lot in textile and, and in, you know, in that arena. Yeah. Well, 
a lot of the silhouettes aren't that new. So the textile, the fabric is where the creativity is. So that's another reason I'm so passionate about materials. And what are you seeing now? Obviously, we know with the market, there's this huge interest in both the electronics and technical textiles and e-textiles and, and performance. Where are you seeing or what are some of the trends, especially around materials of where we are now, where you think it's going? Well, I think performance is almost a given. It used to be, oh, that's a tech fabric. Now the performance is an invisible quality, but it adds value. And consumers are looking for real value. So it might be antimicrobial. It might be um, moisture wicking. Even You know, like there's a line of menswear shirts, everyday dress shirts, but they're moist, moisture wicking. They're high performance. Um, the fact that everybody wears leggings and activewear. And I was just taking the subway yesterday two days ago on a Sunday, and I looked down the row of knees, and it was every single person was wearing some sort of active wear. So the customer's used to that kind of comfort and that kind of performance, even when they're dressed more um, for work or for an occasion. I'm also seeing much more interest in texture and fabrics with character. Where can we go and find those? I love that. <laughs> Do you actually get in as well where you're making these trend zones and curating for your customers this information? Do you get into the part of where can you go to find those materials and resources for your collection? I wish I did. That's always been a dream of mine to include the sourcing. But I go to the fabric shows, I study what's going on, and I give real fabric direction with real terminology. Mm -hmm. I'm so appalled so many times at um, interns and young people who even tell me they majored in textiles, but they don't know the terms for fabric. So I do my best, and I, and I always tell young people it's a lifelong study. You know, they'll be like, well, I never heard the word noil. I'll be like, well, learn it. Look it up. Find out about it. This is a lifelong study, but knowing the words is how you communicate what you want to say. So that's talking a bit about kind of what today's consumers are looking for. You said with the athleisure and comfort and what the trends are now. If you have any predictions about the future of where we're going or where you think we should be going? I think we're going in, well, one thing is a way of communicating what's special to the consumer. So the consumer might not know. The consumer still thinks silk is expensive and rayon is cheap. And I always say there's silk and there's silk and there's rayon and there's rayon. So we have to have hang tags. We have to have, I always say provenance, like a, like a wine label where you could see the terroir, where the grapes are grown. You could see who bottled it, who made it. We need that for textiles. We need to communicate the beauty of this um, garment, the value, the special value of what it is From the to fiber. the consumer. The fiber... All the way up. All the way up. Hold that thought. We want to get more into it. 
We're going to go to break, but before we do, Sharon, it looks like you were so lovely enough to bring something delicious for us to snack on. What did you bring? Well, I live in the East Village, and I went to Dunwell Donuts, which is a super fabulous, vegan, organic, super creative donut shop, baked in Brooklyn, sold in the East Village, and I got some crazy flavors for us. Cannot wait. It looks delicious. Thank you so much. We're going to go eat. Back soon. Hey, everybody, this is Vikram Iyer, former advisor to President Barack Obama. Have you been opening your Twitter account or Facebook feeds or even just talking to families and friends and wondering what the heck is going on in this country? Well, it's not as bad as you think, but we're going to unpack that for you. Join me at the American Enough podcast on the Mount Media Network as we unpack the policies, executive orders, and daily kerfuffles that are shaping not just this administration, but the modern face of America's politics. Episodes available at AmericanEnoughPodcast.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. You can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. And hear all of our episodes on materialisyourbusiness.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. We're back on Material Is Your Business here with Sharon Grobart of Mint Moda. And Sharon, right before break, we were having a great conversation about the storytelling aspect of this. Once a consumer, um, a client has been delivered this information, then they also need to convey that to their customers, your B2B, and they've got their B2C. What does that process look like and what kind of marketing tools are you guiding them on and sharing that information? Well, when we do our trends, we think of each trend. At the moment at Mint Motor, we're just doing women, by the way, but um, we will add men's, and I have a lot of experience in men's, but just for now, when we do our trends, we think about that persona, who she is, how she likes to shop, what's something quirky about her. You know, I always have these things like secretly bakes cookies or you know, maybe something a little more quirky. You're secretly addicted to soap operas. I don't know. I don't know. But we build out a persona with phrases and words so that our customers can then add that to their communication, whether it's verbiage for their websites or whether they're naming an item. You know, when the wide-legged pant first came into fashion... I coined um, Dunaway Pant because I thought it was kind of like a Faye Dunaway in network. And then I noticed some clients picked up that name or clients have told me that they, if I've had a trend, let's say, called Picnic or something, they'll name their whole department Picnic or they'll name their collection. So we feel that everything we do, every image, every word, Every color is information. It's storytelling information that the client could reuse. Naming a fabric, 
naming a shoe. Um, I feel very passionately about this is fashion. It's fun. It's creative. Give it a name. Give it a persona. Give it a life. Yes. No, that absolutely. And you see certain things, like you said, the phrase you coined that just kind of takes off and, get, and gets picked up and becomes a, a phrase and a term. But I wonder on the flip side, too, if everybody starts kind of naming their their items and trying to come up with these kind of call outs, does it get lost a little bit in the crowd? And do they have to be selective about how and what they're identifying and naming? And does it have to actually fit in with a trend or is there something to being off trend? Yeah. I mean, if a, if a, if one of our customers, one of our clients has a strong identity, they will know. And if I work one-on-one, like you said before, how do I communicate with the clients? One thing is the website. We also do consulting. Okay. We also offer two meetings a year with our clients. And I always tell the clients, you know your customer best. And they might come up with something so perfect, but maybe I'm there to say, that's it, you know. Um, I try to give so many ideas, but not an overwhelming amount of ideas, but enough ideas that different people can pull out different things and make them their own. Because that was a problem, I think. Um, now there's a several upstart trend services, but there was a moment where it was like the, um, and I'm hesitant to use a name, but it's, you know, it, it's, uh, almost a monopoly mm-hmm. of a trend service. So mm-hmm. every store on high street has the same look and we're definitely moving away from that. It's much more, um, niche, much more entrepreneurial, much more artisanal, well, it's actually um, very interesting because you have worked in most of the trend companies here um, in New York, and being high up there and, and, and part of the, the the team, I would like to understand what's your um, challenges and um, on your building on Mint Moda. Mint Moda. Well, just building a business is challenging. I'm learning so much every day. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to do it. I wanted to have this experience and dig my hands in and, uh, and get, get closer to my own vision. And I think that's something Mint Moda has provided. It was a chance to run with an idea and, imp- and learn how to implement it and cobble a team together and work with like-minded, passionate, talented people. Um, That's one thing I noticed right off the bat as well on your website. In addition to that incredible map, it was that you had a very full, diverse, interesting team beneath you. And so I also wonder for for trend agency, how is important is it to have those different eyes and to build that team? And how much of it is coming from you and your experience, obviously, as an expert in the industry? Well, I love it when it's not my idea. You know, it's like I have a friend who's a chef, and he says he loves when other people cook for him. I, I, it's very hard to get out of your own head. So different voices, different points of view are um, essential, especially in something like fashion, because we all engage. You know, I always say 
um, fashion is the most democratic art. Everybody wakes up and gets dressed. And even if you say you're anti-fashion, you're not, because that's a stance. Of course. So lots of voices are essential. But on the other hand, I feel that if I go against my own judgment uh, aesthetically, it's usually a mistake. I, some there's a link, a link gets weakened if that makes sense. So I oversee everything. Trust your instincts. I trust. Yeah, I trust my instincts, and I I trust my visual sense. So I you can, can do tell this with your eyes closed immediately. <laughs> no, no, I have to have my eyes open. <laughs> I mean, the salespeople used to tell me at other jobs, they used to say, I don't know why, I always want to open up your pages because they sing. And that meant so much to me because I I know how to make it sing, but I can't even explain how I do it, although I teach as much as I can. <laughs> so as we're looking, obviously, we were talking about earlier, fast fashion and things are happening so quickly. How often are brands and companies um, engage, engaging with trend zones, reports, and need to be consuming that information? And is it is, is the time per year that they do it change now? Because they have to be abreast of it so quickly. Yes, there's much more emphasis on getting it out there quickly. They themselves are charged with coming up with trends, my clients who are um, fashion directors and trend directors very often for big product development companies or big department store, they're responsible for coming up with trends the minute the collections end, for example. So we have to be right up there with them. But fast fashion is a funny thing, Stephanie. Um, it is... Things seem to be moving faster, and they are moving faster, but on the other hand, things move at exactly the same pace they always had, have. I always say, you know, if you look at a movie from 1942, it looks different than a movie from 1944 or 45. 1965 looks different than 1968. Things move. Uh I did a presentation about looking backward, and it was just extraordinary how uh, we went from corseted Victorian looks to loose um, Fortuny looks in a in a heartbeat. So fashion moves. Fashion is a fast-moving thing. And how much of that movement then is cyclical too, right? Because you, you're, you're moving forward, but at the same time you're drawing from the past, and things are hot, and then they're not, and then they're hot again. And they go back to it. <laughs> Well, I, I wrote this editorial many years ago, I have to find it, about fashion is looking at a double mirror. You know, when you have two mirrors yes. and it's like back, 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 forward, 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 reinvent it, recontext it, make it in a new fabric, mm -hmm. super important. Fabric is the thing that has all the technology. The way we build clothes is pretty much the same as we always have. So, yeah, it's a funny thing. It is cyclical, and there are things that just hang around forever and don't go away. So I love looking at your trend reports at the trade shows, and I was just wondering what else do you give to your clients besides the consulting and the trend reports, that um, the brief description of the trend reports that you give at the trade shows? 
Well, the experience of being on Mint Moda is even deeper because I couldn't possibly encapsulate in my 45-minute presentations what's really on there. So Mint Moda allows the user to go deeper and do their own research. And I always want to kind of spur even more research. So Mint Moda, uh, the site is deeper than what would be a presentation. Also, for, with consulting, sometimes there's a trend that isn't necessarily trendy, but that a customer, uh, that one of my clients has a customer who loves that look. For instance, recently, a client asked me about the boho look. And, you know, I always say bohemian, by the way, does not mean ethnic clothes. Beatniks in a black turtleneck are bohemian, are bohemian. But for the fashion purposes, <laughs> it's flowy, uh, ethnic. And this store uh, retailer said they have a big business with that flowy boho look, but it wasn't necessarily trending right now. So they wanted a special trend of where that look is going. Another example is we did a consultation for intimates and lingerie for a company that does not have a sexy, a customer that doesn't want to be sexy. She said that all the um, intimates forecasts were too forward and too sexy. She has a mom, she has a rural customer. What is her intimates? What does her do her pajamas look like? So that was a great project that we did for a few seasons of this kind of um, more comfy intimates than sexy intimates. I used to call it loungewear in the past. Loungewear. <laughs> But that's uh, that's a, so you customize uh, yes. you customize more to the client also their needs or they might have a funny little oh gosh you know just something that they haven't addressed or that they couldn't find addressed in the normal trends seasonal trends. How did you get into this business to begin with? What inspired you about trend forecasting to have made a wonderful, long, successful career out of it? Well, that is such a good question. I never studied fashion, but I always loved fashion. And I never heard of a fashion forecaster. But when I started working in New York City... I was a fine arts major. The only jobs I ever got were in fashion. My first job ever was as a textile colorist. And I painted. At that time, you would paint the prints. And then I started illustrating. I decided to put a fashion illustration portfolio together. And I got work. And the uh, first person to really hire me was the Toby report. And the crazy thing is, I saw an ad in the Times. I mean, this is a long time ago. I had the Times open to the help wanted section. And I, I never saw anything that was suitable to my skills. And I picked up the paper to throw it away. And this little tiny one inch ad pop popped out at me, fashion illustrator wanted. It's like of all the chances, a miracle. I and I hadn't seen it. I had already 
um, peruse the ads and didn't see it. But this ad popped out at me. I called, and that was the Toby Report, where I worked for the next, you know, almost two decades. So at Toby, we were reportage. We were, it was reporting. We reported on the fashion industry, and it was a very beautiful, high-integrity, wonderful publication. It was a weekly, and it covered the market. And I would go into all the showrooms and illustrate. But then we started to do more forecasting, and the only way to, to show a new silhouette is to draw it. So everything that I do comes from my lifelong, you know, since I was two or something, love of drawing. It all comes from drawing. You just used that word forecasting, and obviously it's what we're talking about here. How far out are we talking, though? Is this a one-year forecast, a five-year forecast, a hundred-year? I mean, where yeah. are we thinking, and, and how far out should we be thinking, or do we need to even broaden our forecasting? Well, there, it exists on many levels. You know, there are movements that happen. Like, for instance, this is many years ago in 1999, and I was at the Doniger Group, and we had a meeting about what is the most important value in the new millennial. And I said, artisanal. And everyone was like, artisanal, what's that? And here we are mm -hmm. 20 years, almost 20 years later, and the word craft, artisanal, you know, spell check was rejecting the word artisanal at that point. Um, so that's a long range. Grunge which a lot of people thought was a flash-in-the-pan trend, is really a very, very long-range movement that we're still living in. The idea of layering, wearing a dress over pants, the hoodie sweatshirt, we're still in that move, that long, long-range movement of grunge. But most of the trends that we do are a year or a year and a half out. Because, you know, in terms of an item or something more immediate, speed to market, getting that thing into the store, we're thinking six months to a year and a half, usually. So we're not thinking yet about what we need to wear to go to Mars, right, in the next, like, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Okay, so that's a little bit well, outside of... <laughs> I think we have to refer to 60s science fiction movies. <laughs> But I am very impressed at the um, aspect of, of the, uh, when I used to do the trends and I used to concentrate on the embroidery sector alone, um, the, what I've noticed that since I stopped doing the trends, it happens much more often. It's like, oh, we're into embroidery again. I was like, that was weird. That was like a few years ago. Are, do you think that the trends are, are happening more often? Like the cycle is, is getting shorter? I think you're right, Samantha. I think if things don't go away, it's like they dip for a moment and then they come back in a new way and they come back with a vengeance sometimes just when you think you can't look at another camouflage print. It's everywhere. Or just when you think, oh, embroidery, it's, it's not very new. It's in a new way. It's placed or it's super dimensional or it's, um, I mean, I particularly think embroidery is the future because the threads are computer filaments. The threads themselves, th 
that are used for embroidery could be intelligent. So embroidery, the, the fusion of craft with um, technology is where it's going. It's not looking like a spaceship. It's looking like um, some beautiful handcrafted material that also has intelligence. It also mixes the artisanal and all the other aspects. It's the merging of those. That's a good time to take a break. We'll be back with our final segment, Remnants, right after this on Material Is Your Business. Hi, everyone. This is Mark Rako. I'm one of the hosts of Fashion Is Your Business, another great show on Mouth Media Network. If you like the podcast you're listening to, Material Is Your Business, then I bet you're going to love Fashion Is Your Business, which intersects fashion, technology, and innovation, and also American Fashion Podcast, which Harper's Bazaar calls for the true fashion nerd at heart. Both shows and a whole bunch of other great podcasts are all available at MouthMediaNetwork.com. And when you do listen, let us know you heard about them on Material Is Your Business. Thanks a lot, and now back to the show. We're back on Material Is Your Business. We're here with Sharon Grobart of Mint Moda, and it's time for... And now, it's Remnants. Remnants are fun, personal questions just to get to know you a little bit better. And Samantha, you want to go first? Yes. I know you've traveled the world. What is your preferred city and why? Well, it's kind of a cliche, but I think I have to say Paris. It's just what you dream that it is. Uh, even though, of course, it's um, like every city in the world, it's gotten somewhat homogenized, but there's a heritage, an interest in beauty and in craftsmanship and in those those things that bring pleasure, which we don't necessarily value in the same way here. So I'm always happy to go to Paris, but everywhere I've been, I a trip lives inside of you. I love Hong Kong. Um, I love my trips to Australia. I feel like I'm in New York upside down when I'm in Melbourne or Sydney. Um, Italy, of course, is the most soulful, beautiful, Rome, Florence, Milan, I like everywhere. But I like New York the best. <laughs> if you had to live with one trend in fashion for the rest of your life, what would that trend be that you would wear forever and why? Well, I always say all roads lead to Ray um, Kawakubo. So I guess I would just live the rest of my life and come to Garçon and um, some Yoji. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Can you give us a final thought for our listeners, maybe as you look back on your career or this interview, any message for them? I think 
one very important thing is to pull things out of yourself. Use your taste, but don't be limited by your taste. Be as wide open as you possibly can. If you hate something, it's a signal that you have to give it a second look. Be as wide open as you can, but let the final decision maker be your own good taste, your own sincere, authentic feeling about something, if that makes sense. It's great. And how can our listeners connect with you and with Mintmoda? Mintmoda.com, sgraubard at mintmoda.com. Write to us, call us. There's a form you can fill out on the Mintmoda site, and we'll get right back to you. Thank you so much, Sharon. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you for joining us. And for Samantha Cortez, adios. I'm Stephanie Benedetto. Go change the world, everyone. Thank you for listening, and see you next time on Material Is Your Business. This has been Material Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at materialisyourbusiness.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, materialisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2017. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.